Hi, Priscilla McKinney here, Mama Bird and CEO at Little Bird Marketing. I'm so excited to announce finally, my book is out. Collaboration is the new competition. Why the future of work rewards a cross-pollinating hive mind and how not to get left behind. So what's the book about? (laughs) The impetus was really about a gap that I saw in the business vernacular about how we need to work together to get ahead and have much bigger wins. I think it's super important right now because there is a growing need for collaboration in the business world. And I made this book super practical. In fact, the chapters tell you how many minutes it's going to take for you to get through them. I know you're busy, but these kinds of ideas are going to, I hope, permeate into your thought process and help you get ahead quicker. The first part of the book is about what is the state of affairs in business and why I believe collaboration is really needed. And it also goes on to explain these are the fundamentals that need to happen so you can have collaboration. So once you set yourself up for the win, then it's not always smooth sailing. And I finished the last half of the book giving you seven different anchors that you can use as a practical tool in order to make sure you stay on course. So in a time when business has never been more complicated, this book offers a fresh and, in my opinion, much-needed perspective. It moves away from that idea of linear success and instead brings people together to give you a competitive advantage. Visit PriscillaMcKinney.com for more information. You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed, but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. If you're just waking up and you've heard the word AI, and before we're living a life perfectly content to not hear that phrase, and you're scratching your head wondering what this means for your career, this is absolutely the show for you. And I'm just going to give a little caveat before I introduce my guest to say, in the industry where I work in marketing, in the industry that I serve, market research, there has been so much talk about AI this year, even though it has been with us for many years before, but it has been just this insane blow up of conversation. And I see panel after panel, conversation after conversation. And my feeling is that mostly people are not asking the right person. So today for this show, I have invited a guest who I believe is the right person to ask. So please welcome to Digital Transformation Success, Sumer Sayani. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here, Priscilla. 
you are going to love this, dear audience. <laughs> this is the global lead of AI programs and strategic partnerships at Question Pro. And for me, being in this industry for many, many years and largely an outsider looking from the outside in, I really look to Question Pro to see what is coming next. Now, Sumer has actually joined Question Pro rather recently, but there is a very obvious reason why he is joining this team at this point. And I think he has a lot of insight to give us today. So I really want to give him a lot of the mic on it. But let me tell you a little bit about him and why I feel like he's so qualified here. He truly has been working in the world of AI for many years. He founded Pathos AI, which was a startup focused on harnessing the potential of AI. And he sold it to Question Pro. And that experience really gelled the entire idea that AI is the most powerful enabler for solving very complex problems, complex problems that if solved, will lead to great growth in companies. And so this tool, he sees AI as a tool and looking at all of the different ways that it can be applied really specifically so that you can magnify that human potential and enable a broader influence for your brand and for your products. So I know that this landscape is just moving super fast and that there are complex problems ahead of us, but he has worked with so many Fortune 500 companies, has a lot to offer. So Sumer, again, welcome. And I am just going to rely on you for some expertise. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your first couple of months at Question Pro and why the synergy? Why sell to them? Thanks, Priscilla. And it's a question that I always also self-reflect every now and then about what I'm doing and what lies ahead and whether I'm going in the right direction. It sinks into where I believe I need to be going in my core beliefs. And what I liked about really Question Pro Experience is that it hits a few of some very, very important things that I value. First being innovation. I believe that we have to constantly keep on moving forward. If we are not moving forward, if we are standing still, we're actually moving backwards. That's a quote from one of my favorite tennis players, Roger Federer, that if you're not growing, you're actually degrowing, right? So what I loved about Question Pro is this quest for the next interesting thing. How can we continue to empower our clients in ways that they have not been able to do themselves or don't have the expertise or the bandwidth? So I just love that energy. It's across the organization. The second thing that is very close to my heart is putting client first. So thinking from their perspective, that what are the problems that they're trying to solve? What are the challenges that they have to overcome? Why should it matter to the clients? Why should they bother? And that kind of questioning, I think, allows for a much better analysis of the problem and then eventually move towards solutioning that problem. And the final, but not definitely not the least important bit is teamwork is just unbelievable. The culture that they have been able to create and maintain is amazing. And I believe that all the organizations around the world would have this kind of culture where it's completely open. Yes, there are hierarchies, but actually they are just on the paper. When the team works together, is everybody rolls up their sleeves and we have those goals in mind. And there's a lot of people backing each other up and really sort of going and doing the right things. It just aligns so well with where I want to be. I love it. I love it. So tell us a little bit about that day-to-day. Really, your remit is to think about next-gen research. So what's on your mind when you think about this? So before I get there and before I get to it, if you just allow me a little bit of kind of going a little bit back in time, 
because that will help set the context for what I'm absolutely. Say this is my show. I get to do anything that my guests want to do. <laughs> okay, great. So I love it then already. So back in the days, I was working for a company called Nielsen, and I worked with them for 17 years. I was leading a global think tank that was basically a combination of Nielsen working with the conference board, and we created one of the world's first data collaborative, a big data platform for social good in partnership with the UN Foundation, Salesforce, Accenture, and a couple of other very amazing folks who wanted to help and support solve the bigger problems of the world. And there I learned this term called non-zero-sum thinking. I came across this term during those conversations in different presentations at the UN, and I just loved it. It just stuck with me. And I thought, okay, how can I bring this non-zero-sum thinking into the corporate world? Which essentially means that if you look at all the different stakeholders in a corporate world, there is an organization, obviously, as if you take it as a whole, but we're going to break it apart a little bit. But if you look at two big constituents, one is a corporate who has a goal to make profits and obviously survive in that sense, grow. And then you have customers who they are serving. And they want to have a good quality of life. They want to do things that they want to do. They want to live the life they want to live. And they want to be treated well by the people that they work with or the organizations that are serving them. And so if we kind of look at that from just from this very sort of simple perspective, I felt that there needs to be a way in which research can help this ecosystem be a, this non-zero-sum aggregator. How can we create an ecosystem where both can benefit rather than just focusing on one? And that's what research actually is all about. Market research is all about. You are enabling insights and understanding of customers so that companies can serve those customers better. But if you could just extend that a little bit to say, okay, the customers need a little bit more than just a new product. They need to be associated with that product. They need to be assigned, associated with the value that they hold. They want to be able to trust the organization. They want to feel good about that company that they're working with. So that's really where I felt that, okay, where is this is one kind of aspect that triggered me to think about next-gen research. The second is within the organization itself, you have different stakeholders. You have the employees who are working on, let's say, doing research. There are obviously shareholders. There are the business leaders, the decision makers who need to make big decisions, invest a lot, ton of money. And they need to be treated fairly as well in the sense that they should not be made to do work that they should not be doing. They have their own families that they have their own lives to take care of as well. And they need to be supported to make the right decisions, those big decisions. And that means better insights and broader insights as well. So non-zero-sum thinking, if you kind of start to stretch it, it encompasses a number of different stakeholders that need to be taken care of in this ecosystem. And really, that's one big foundation, if you may, of that next-gen research thinking. And then when you start to look at it from that lens, you start to see, okay, how each of these are going to evolve and their needs are going to evolve. What are the mechanisms? What are the structures? What are the data sets that are coming through in our ecosystem? And what are the best ways? Where should we intervene? Where should we make lives better so that overall everybody benefits? So that, I would say, is where I started as the next-gen research. But there's a whole lot more. Yeah, but that's a very co-creation mentality that you bring to the table. Oh, absolutely. I believe that. And it's not just co-creation from, to your point, not from within the organization. It's even customers. I believe customers need to have a seat at the table as well to deciding how their data, for example, is used. How do we really, truly, what mechanisms we use to intervene and understand them and kind of observe them, if you may. 
So I think absolutely, it has to be a co-creation. I love it. Yeah, you can feel that whole almost like an openness to it. So as you bring that mindset and really that experience to it, I would add that you have worked around the globe as well. So you know the global implications for how teams need to be scaled in order to truly get this hit a critical point of making something work, but also how to do that in several different cultures. So I think there's a lot of complexity to that as well. So as you take that mindset and that experience into NextGen, what are you thinking right now? Like, and what should we be thinking right now? Let's take a short break. As a business professional, mastering social media is no longer a nice-to-have set of skills, but a fundamental need in order to advance your career and exceed goals. A lot of people are interested in learning social selling techniques for revenue generation, network building, and maybe even to advance their thought leadership. But what is actually needed is a practical and repeatable system to digitally transform whole teams. Teams that commit to creating meaningful digital communities and learn how to leverage social media to turn relationships into sales online far outperform their competitors. And companies that commit to investing in their teams to increase their personal social influence reap the benefit of increased brand awareness and positive upticks in company reputation. Social media is natural. It's cost-effective, and it's an easily leveraged tool at anyone's disposal. What is lacking is an effective and proven system that trains sales, marketing, HR, and executives alike to move from social selling to complete digital transformation and into digital dominance. Our 12-week social selling course is a practical, hands-on experience. It's taken over time specifically to address the needed mindset shifts, the changes in habits and behaviors, and all of this while implementing new skills. You will learn how to network effectively and at scale, build rapport with targeted audiences, expand your influence, and become the go-to authority in your area of expertise. So this is not a quick tips and tricks for LinkedIn success flash in the pan. It's a commitment to changing the way you show up online and experience career-shifting breakthroughs. This is expert instruction in small cohorts with personalized one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, go learn more at littlebirdmarketing.com slash social hyphen influence. Yeah, so basically what we did was as initial part of the next-gen thinking, and just there are a couple of things that I've read. For example, Henry Ford used to say, if you don't think of the future, you won't have one. So the first thing that we started to do as part of the next-gen research thinking, and by the way, obviously, I always try to gather smarter people around me who know more than me and who understand the stuff better than me. So what I did was I kind of started, I asked a few of people from the past and relationships and experts with global leaders with Fortune 500 companies to kind of get come together and let's talk about visualizing what the future could look like, how consumers are going to evolve and their needs are going to evolve, how the data set ecosystems of the future are going to look like, data streams are going to flow, what could be the collaborative ways in which we would be able to leverage information and what is the value exchange going to look like in the future between all these different stakeholders and data sets that we need to be able to use. And kind of we synthesize some very, I would say, four to five 
broader themes around where we think the things are going to move. And I can share just a couple with you here with the audience that, for example, the first thing that we looked into was, and we thought about, okay, given the increased share of people expressing themselves in different ways and forms, we believe that the weightage of asking versus listening and observing is going to shift significantly in the future. So companies need to be able to create listening posts, more listening posts, broader listening posts, so that they can listen and observe more. And let me just give you an example. So there's a good friend who works for one of the largest grocery retailers in the US. And they do every time they launch a new concept on the floor, maybe a new product that they want to kind of put in or new shelving idea that they have, where should shelving be? How do they do run promotions? They do this survey where they ask customers, okay, what would you want to do? And as you all know, customer tells us stuff, but when they actually launch those things, the footfall is not exactly as they would expect. So the challenge, this gap between what customers say and what customers do is a kind of an existential problem in research. And so what we were just discussing that, hey, why don't we, instead of asking that, why don't we listen and observe what people are you know, doing? What are they spending time and what are they saying about the experience, for example, across different ways in different places? So if you could just shift that focus, which I think is going to happen more and more, you can get so much more insight, valuable insight that you probably won't get otherwise. So that I think is definitely an area. The second thing that we thought would be, which is going to become even more central to our work in your market research as well, is that organizations are going to continue to become significantly more human-centric. So I know that some people say that, well, this sounds like more like a sustainability thing. It came, it was big, but people aren't ready to pay for it. So companies kind of do what is important, but not really take it on as a central pivot of their strategy. It took a lot of time. But I think this move is going to be a little bit different just because I think the assertiveness that we are seeing in consumers in the way they want to be treated is very different because it's very personal than sustainability, which was still a little bit further off from, from all of us in our daily lives. So that's the second, second trend that we feel that's going to shape the future of corporate world and research. And so if you could just take these two examples and start to extrapolate and say, okay, what does the future measurement ecosystem ought to look like? If we just take these two and say, hey, how do we build mechanisms in terms of data streams, in terms of AI tools and, and models, in terms of value exchange between customers and corporations to be able to use that the data? I think you can begin to kind of see how exciting that world is going to look like in the future. Again, we come back to this idea of a value of the co-creation, a value of the consumer, but played out in a much more tangible way. It is actually now affecting the way that companies go about collecting data and what they do with the data. And I love that beginning. If I could just unpack a little bit about what you said of understanding the soup we're swimming in, which is right now consumers are expressing themselves in ways that do not fit on surveys. And so because of that, if we continue to use those same surveys over and over again, we are going to get those same answers over and over again, and they are not going to enlighten a path forward at all. <laughs> so I love this idea of it's an old problem, the old say-do gap. If I tell you, I always talked about this like with a business idea. People come in and say, oh, well, everybody I've asked said this is a good business idea, so I'm ready to spend money on marketing. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Who did you ask? And what did you ask? 
So a lot of times I'm like, well, I asked my friends, I asked my family and I'm like, okay, well, let's just think about that. Those people's jobs are to support you and love you. (laughs) And so they're not the right people to ask because they're going to say, of course, that's a great idea. I'm so behind you. And then we don't ask the right question. We might ask, do you think this is a good idea? What we didn't ask was, would you invest your money? (laughs) (laughs) doing it. And so I find that that is kind of follows us around as humans all the time. And it's no different when we come into market research. So this idea that you said about thinking about asking fewer leading questions. And if we don't walk away from that, if we don't have tools that instruct us and help us to deal with a little bit more data that we're going to get by opening up really the floodgates of how do you want to give us this data, then we're never going to bridge that say-do gap because other people are going to nod in agreement but then they're going to walk away and never buy that product. So you bring this problem up and this sounds amazing. Let's say we do this in the next gen of research. Let's say we do this. Now, if we thought big data was a problem, (laughs) now bigger data. So tell us about what you see this power of AI doing to be able to help us mitigate this and come up with a way forward. So I think before we kind of dive into that, let me just I think you kind of started that off with Priscilla that, hey, when we talk about AI, there's just so much conjecture. There's just too many people saying so many different things about it, what exactly it is. And so I think I believe when I talk to people, there are two responses that I get from an AI perspective. First is, which I believe is the closest to what I think it has been around us in different ways for a long, long time. And essentially, it is basically bigger computing possibility. Faster, bigger data, different types of unstructured data. Now we are able to analyze it at speed, at scale, essentially. And then there is this whole the kind of robotics and the space, basically robots looking as humans and talking as humans. And that AI is sort of a little bit different than, I think, what typically we use in solving business problems. So let's take the more real question of AI and the use of AI. One thing that I also want to highlight is that in that next-gen world, there's also this, I think, this misnomer or misunderstanding that as AI takes over, there's going to be no jobs for human beings. And I could not disagree more with that. And I'm setting up to answer your question because no problem can be solved unless we have a human head into it, right? Into this, into that analysis, into that programming, to that model development. Because without that human involvement, you won't be able to solve the real human problem. So I think we definitely always have to have that. Now, where did, how does it all connect to the question that you asked? I think the problem with AI is not that there are no tools or that there are not enough bigger servers or bigger computational power. I think it's a lack of imagination, quite honestly. I think if we are able to let go of our limitations in our minds and basically stretch that the thinking process and say, hey, you know what, how can I connect different data sets together, which do not seem to be at all related, for example, even on the face of it, and see if I can find some interesting correlation, if I can find something interesting there. So I think the issue with right now, where if it is an issue around use of AI is that we need to be able to challenge ourselves to ask the right questions and basically extend our imagination to say, okay, what are the possibilities to be able to use different types of data? And, you know, okay to be uncomfortable in the sense that it may be that it may not work and that's fine, but at least 
every time you do it, you know, move one step forward towards actually eventually getting it done. So I think the challenge is not really how big a data is going to be or how varied. I think the, the challenge is going to be, are we going to be able to ask the right questions? And so what are those right questions that you feel that the team that you love so much at Question Pro is asking? Why do you think they're able to usher this tool in more efficiently right now? So what is that thinking? What is that spark, that creativity that is leading the way? So now that I've sort of come in as the global lead for AI, so the first thing that I started to do was to there's a lot of obviously work going on within Question Pro around AI, different tools and different assets that are being developed. But what I started to do was started to kind of pull them all together and say, okay, what is it that we want to achieve in this world with the use of AI? What is our purpose? What is going to be our vision with the use of AI? What is going to be our goals? So and let's define that. So in my view, there are two pronged if I were to put a vision that I've just started to put together, I'm sharing with you for the first time, actually. I don't think we have put it out yet. We will be putting it out soon. So it's first time out there on this podcast. We are saying that through the use of AI, we are going to enable faster, smarter research. And there are going to be two key components of that. First is going to be efficiency focused, productivity focused. And the second is deeper insights and future ready focus. So. In efficiency focus, what we have done is that we have looked at each and every step of the journey for a market researcher, whether it's an agency, whether it's an organizational insights team, what are the steps and what are the tasks that they are doing today and how long does it take them to do that? That's the first question. What we want to do is cut those that timeline down from sometimes even weeks into minutes. And we have actually done that. So we are launching a few tools right now, which are going to, for example, questionnaire generation. It takes some time building. It could take a week to 10 days. So we have an AI tool to export that actually does it. it you type a topic and it produces a questionnaire. So you are 75% there already. Significant amount of time. One thing that is very close to me, which is what we did partially at Pathos AI as well, is, for example, text analysis. There's a bunch of text out there, volumes and volumes of data. We once got about 100,000 records from a large manufacturer, Fortune 500 company, and we were able to analyze the data in about 10 minutes, process it, analyze it, summarize it, available in a dashboard for them to run through and say, okay, this is where I need to focus different insights. So that's the efficiency part. The second part is the deeper insights and the future-ready part. So I just talked about the things that we are visualizing of the future ecosystem of data streams and customer preferences and behavior, and how do we need to be prepared to be able to allow our customers measure those evolving ecosystems. So that's the next focus. And the last thing I would say to that is, I think, Priscilla, you mentioned that also, and I'm very, very excited that you also said something like that reputation part. So you keep asking the same questions. How can we make that better? How do we ask more relevant questions. And that's another stream that I'm working on right now. How do we connect these different responses from customers in different ways and forms to ensure that the next questionnaire is a smarter one, is a better questionnaire, is not the same thing over and over again. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I'm going to give you a chance just as we wrap up to talk about, I think, what I think is right under the hood of Sumer, which is 
I feel that the way you talk about your teams, about the tools, about the methodologies, that right underneath that is, I don't know if it's a lot of hope or altruism, or I don't know, I'm feeling something different, that you really believe we can create a different world and that the way we handle data does inform that. Am I just picking that up out of the blue? Or it feels like that's absolutely what you are all about. Wow, you are truly amazing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I definitely believe I'm obviously an optimist by nature, but I do believe, and this is what I want to create for my team as well, right? A kind of a compelling vision. It's more than just your daily coding, a code that you write, a report that you write. What you're working is a part of something bigger. And every little thing that you do, every little code that you write actually is a step forward in visualizing a much bigger dream, a much bigger vision that's going to shift our market research world into the next gen. So that's how I operate. And that's how I want my teams to feel as well, that they are making a difference. Well, that came across, let me assure you, and I'm excited that on Digital Transformation Success, we got an exclusive on where the team is going at Question Pro. Certainly, you can find Sumer Sayani on LinkedIn. I'm going to spell that for you. It's S-U-M-A-I-R. Sayani, S-A-Y-A-N-I. And I just have to say, I'm excited about what's coming up. And we'd love to have you back on the podcast as a little bit next year of, well, how have things gone? And how much more hope do we have for it? This is my show, so I can be as optimistic as I want to. Sumer, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. It is something that's very valued in this industry. As we all find our way forward, I do believe with you that we can create a better world. It may sound crazy and trite and totally visionary, but I do believe that how we do what we do, it impacts our tomorrow 100%. Absolutely. And thank you, Priscilla, for having me. It was a great conversation. As, as you think about your next at bat with what you need to digitally transform at your company, keep some of these more issues of the heart in mind because you will create a better team and you will create better outcomes by involving more people. So I really appreciate that sentiment. Awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.